This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 161. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hood. I'm here with my big, bald, beautiful, purple-shirted co-host, Christopher J. Graham. Say hi, Chris. Hey. I mean, hi. <laughs> oh, oh, hi. So in today's episode, we're going to cover the top nine mistakes freelancers make when starting their new business. And believe me, if you are getting started or you're brand new or you're looking to get started in your freelance business and you've been dabbling in the uh, weeds of the world, this episode is absolutely for you so that you can get over those things and actually start taking action and avoiding mistakes all along the way. One of the funny things too about these types of mistakes are most of us are self-taught, right? Most of us are learning on our own. We didn't go through a curriculum traditionally. And as a result, we've got gaps in our learning. And it's pretty normal with freelancers, with people that are running small businesses, for them to be like a decade in and be like, oh, I have never done that one thing before that I probably should have been doing all along. So I'm sure for a lot of you, at least one of these is going to be something that you're like, oh, yeah. So it's actually, it's a combination of things you should do and things that you are currently doing that you shouldn't do. So it's actually a mixture of both of those things. So before we get into today's episode, Chris, how have you been, my dude? I've been good, man. I got a all kinds of stuff going on. I've been building out uh, a new coaching program and just sort of processing through that. And that's been so fun. That's all boring crap. I'm going to actually talk about the thing that actually matters. And that's, that's the fact that you like, you were sick before we started this episode and you, <laughs> we almost didn't do this episode. It's true. Yeah. I, I ate something kind of funny, but here's a better topic of banter. I've been lifting weights again and it's been so freaking fun. I'm, I'm going to brag to our audience. I maxed out on the bench press at 225 the other day. Who wants to take bets on whether or not Chris Graham was doing proper technique? He's like moving three inches at a time on the bench press. Just like, bro, when you're, when your arms are as long as mine, the bench is hard. Like it's, it's a lot of movement, but yeah, I've, I'm, I'm a fan. I've been feeling great and I've been taking my iPad into the gym and doing a little bit of cardio while I watch like videos about business and learn and get better. And it's wild to be like, okay, my brain's getting better and my body's getting better at the exact same time. It's a heck of a high, man. That's what I used to, I mean, I used to do that when I was working out solo. I'd listen to podcasts while I worked out, which is kind of weird, but it's like, I do love the multitask where you're like, you're focusing off obviously on lifting weights, but obviously you can also get the valuable information into your brain. But now that I'm working out with Bryant, which is just the guy I've been working out with for years now. He's he's like he looks like a Greek god as far as the body sculpture he has, and I want to look like him, but I probably never will for many reasons. Just because he puts in more work than I do, and that's I'll just leave it at that. Maybe some genetics there too, and he's been doing it longer. However, because of that, I don't listen to podcasts anymore while I work out. He gave me some weightlifting tips when I was in Nashville, and I did them, and they were pretty great. I'm pretty excited yeah. about it. But he, I've thought about this several times. But when he, we had like a little cookout at your house, you know, this fireplace thing. And when Bryant walked up, I remember you yelled to him, hey, Bryant, touch your knees. And it blew my mind because Bryant doesn't need to bend over to touch his knees. His arms are the, just You're talking long. about your long arms. That yeah. he has the longest arms in the world. <laughs> it's true. Wouldn't it stink for Bryant if he was like a girl and in school they were like, you're not allowed to wear shorts that are shorter than your fingertips. And he's like wearing capri pants. I'm like, come on. My arm. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. All right. So mistake number one. We're going to start off strong here, and I'm, I'm looking at myself here with this one as well, and that is offering a copycat service. 
Chris. <laughs> drives me nuts, oh, dude. I'm about to I'm about to get on my soapbox here. So uh, everyone, pr- pretty much everyone who got started in freelancing is because they followed some sort of passion that they had. They developed a skill. They love to do that skill. And then they started offering it for money. The problem with that approach is not necessarily because you're following your passion. That's not the problem. The problem is that you just literally looked around at the people around you and said, this is what they're doing. So I'm going to do it too. And the problem with that is those people also have likely not put any thought into what they're doing as far as the service that they're offering. So let me, let me propose an alternative for anyone who's struggling with this right now or thinking, is this me right now as well? If you're focused on the service you're offering, you're probably doing it wrong. You're probably making this mistake. Alternative to this would be focus on the outcome you're giving your client and see what you can do around that. Chris, I know you want to talk here, so I want to give you a so second to, 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 to get on your soapbox, but I'm on my soapbox right now. So what I mean is this, and I'm going to give my, my new business is a, is a great example of this because now it's a new business I'm starting and I don't make the same mistakes I made when I started my first freelance business. And that is podcast production. This is my new business. And what most people make when they think of, oh, I want to do podcast production for a living. Like that's something that I could do as a freelancer. That sounds fun. I love the auto production side of things. And so they're like, I'm going to edit podcasts. I'm going to charge 50 to 80 to hundred bucks an episode. Cause that's the kind of going rate that I see on the internet for editing podcast episodes. And I'm going to make a good business out of that. That's, that's a copycat service. Instead, what I'm doing is actually looking at the outcome people want, and I'm building my entire package around that. And it's not just one service. It's actually a, a series of services that I'm offering, but it allows me to do two things. One is I'm getting people who don't have a podcast yet, and I'm helping them launch their podcast, which opens up the amount of people that I can work with. And two, I am also building out services that these people need. I'm not focused on one individual service. Instead, I'm focused on the outcome that gets them what they want. Chris, you, what, you, I know you want to talk here. Say something. Yeah, the copycat service thing is so funny because the, the real heart of it, it's how I started my first business as a producer, as a music producer. I looked at this guy, Ed Cash. And I was like, oh, he does everything. He does the tracking and the mixing and the, and, and, and the editing. And then he plays guitar on the records. Well, I want to do all those things. And so I just tried to copy him and I didn't take into account his incredible experience and genius and it didn't go well. And I think for most people, what you have to offer your clients that nobody else can offer is you. It's what makes you unique. What are your superpowers? What are your competitive advantages? What are the things that you know that nobody else does? And you smash all of those together and that turns into your business model. Yes. So I want to I touch on that because you, you, you make a great point there. When I'm talking about focusing on the outcome instead of the service, I'm not saying that, that offering like something you're passionate about is wrong. What I am saying, however, is that when you focus on the outcome that the client wants, the type of person you want to work with, what they actually want, that allows you to think through meticulously what you can do for that person to help them achieve that outcome instead of being stuck on, I love to do this thing. It's all about me, me, me. Technician, technician, technician. Yeah. Yes. All I'm trying to think of is how can I help my client? And that's, that's the kind of the angle I'm trying to give you here is think through about what they want, not what you love to do. And you can find a balance between those things. You don't have to do things that you hate to do just because that's what they want. You can find something that is that, that gap, that the bridges, the gap between what you love to do what they really truly need that helps them get to the outcome they want and also can make you money at the same time. Boy, I had a coaching session this morning where we talked about this exact thing about what is the service you're providing? What are they paying you for? And this particular guy I was coaching is a producer and I asked him a really hard question. Why do your clients want to record a record? And it was so cool. This guy is so smart. He answered, he crushed these questions, but it was so interesting to see him struggle with that and to think, 
why do my clients want to make a record? Because we assume like, well, why would you want to win the lottery? It's not that simple. You have to ask, what are they getting out of it interpersonally? What is the therapeutic benefit of what you're doing? What's the self-actualization benefit? Is there a financial benefit to them as well? And when you're working for, you know, especially with like like one-to-one creative clients where one person hires you to do a creative job, there's almost always an element of self-actualization in there. They're trying to live up to their greatest self. They're trying to self-actualize. And you got to really understand what are they in this for? I, I, I do, as we've kind of wrapped this first one up, copycat service, I want to point people to a book that I, that I think Chris and I both love. It's a book called The Pumpkin Plan by Mike Michalowicz. Looking at and it right I think now. he does a great job of helping you think through this sort of thing throughout an entire book. Like, how can I differentiate myself? How can I set myself apart? How can I not just offer a copycat service? And how can I be more valuable to my clients? Like, would you say that's a fair book to, to, that supports Absolutely. this point? Yeah. 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 All right. So that's number one is copycat services. Mistake number two, when people are getting started is, and this is a, this is, we'll, we'll be quick on this one. Just going straight to logo and business cards. Chris, have you ever made this mistake? Yeah. Well, no, I, no, I have never made this mistake. Woo! Okay. I, no. I, dude, I have, I have so many times. Like, so I'll get excited about a new thing that I'm trying to do. And instead of like actually putting in the work, I just go get a logo made get some business card mates. And I'm professional at that point. Like, and you can, th- you can even throw a website on there. And if, if you want to go all three of those, man, I'm just going to say this. The heart behind that isn't, isn't that you want to look professional. It's that you're scared. Typically it's that you have a fear behind taking the scary steps you want to take. And instead of taking the scary steps, you go the cheap way out and just get a logo made, just get some business card mates. It feels like progress, but it's actually just procrastination. Well, and the scary thing there, let's be open and honest is talking to real customers, real potential customers, because real potential customers might reject you. It's so much easier to focus on all the low-risk activities when what you could be doing is going out and talking to people and asking them about their needs and their pain points and doing real research and trying to solve real problems for them instead of being like, I have an idea and I assume it will work. Therefore, I will brand it. No, you got to go out and you got to talk to people. You got to get their opinion. You got to make sure that you're actually helping people way before uh, you do business name and logo. Chris, don't I need, don't I need a logo to get started? No, you need a phone, dude. (laughs) I'm I'm trying for good fortune media, my new podcast production business. I'm trying to see how far I can go with that company without ever having a logo designed. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, the thing I think it's really dangerous with logo and business cards is you get, so like, look, if you're a graphic designer and you make logos and that sort of thing for a living, by all means, have a blast. If you don't and you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to start a business. So the first thing I'm going to do is make my first logo. No, no, don't do that. Bad, bad, bad freelancer. Don't do that. That's a, a sad thing for me when I'll meet people who are like, yeah, I just launched a business and I'll look at their logo on their name and like, oh, oh God. Well, again, let me just, let me just say one more time again. There could be certain situations like in certain like niches that you, you should do this. Like you should at least have a logo first, but I'm just saying in most cases, when you go straight for that as a new business owner, before you've ever had a customer, before you've ever had a client, before you've ever talked to somebody before, that's usually a procrastination move. So I just want to make sure it's not that the logos are bad. It's not that business cards are necessarily bad, although I think they're pretty irrelevant these days, but it is, I am just saying, if that's the first thing you move to when you're getting started, that's a procrastination move. Agreed. So 
That's number two, logo and business cards going straight to that. Number three, this is yours, Chris. You, you introduced number three. I don't want to, Brian. Okay, number three, I'm just going to say it, is obsessing <laughs> on gear. And my podcast co-host suffers from this more than any other human that I know. So you, you take this one away, Chris. Obsessing on gear. What's wrong with obsessing on gear? I learned a new word as I've been, you know, spending the last year and a half in just like nonstop radical healing mode. As I'm processing PTSD, one of the words that's come up a lot in therapy is disassociation. And disassociation is something that we all do to some degree, but people with PTSD or trauma typically do it quite a bit more. And disassociation is basically, I don't want to think about this, so I'm going to think about something else. And for me, gear is the thing I reach for. I don't, I'm a weirdo. I don't drink. I'm, I don't even have coffee now. I am sober as a goat. If that's a phrase, it should be now. I'm sober as a goat. Dude, you're just so, you're so straight edge. It hurts. I love it. Yeah. For the, yeah, for the most part. And not really. No, you, you, <laughs> we can go there. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So season two, we've never shared this before. We're not saying that you should do this or shouldn't do this, but I have PTSD and I have a prescription for the marijuanas and I like it. And, but I don't drink or do caffeine, but the, the marijuana has been massively helpful because I uh, have a disorder. Well, how does this pertain to gear, Chris? Can we bring the conversation back to gear, obsessing on gear? Obsessing on gear. So if I were an alcoholic and I didn't want to think about something, I would drink. If I were anorexic and I didn't want to think about something, I would try to take control of my body by doing those things. If I were a gear hoarder like myself and I didn't want to think about something, I would be like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on YouTube and watch videos about cameras. <laughs> I just learned something I'll never use and I feel better about myself. And, you know, I watched a, rev a review for a piece of gear that I would never buy even no matter what, but it helps distract me. And usually it's from facing some hard truth from acknowledging something like, oh, I'm really mean in this context. Here's the thing. I, I just think this is... In most cases, this isn't. This doesn't necessarily mean it's tied to some trauma or some shit you're trying to avoid. I do think, however, that this is something that a lot of people do because they're just trying to procrastinate. It's just another form of procrastination, similar to going straight to logo and business cards. They don't want to. They don't want to take the hard steps towards building a business. They they love the thought of gear. They love the the allure the allure of gear but they don't, they don't need it yet. It's almost like they're, they're looking for gear that they're not quite ready for yet is really what it, a lot of times what it comes down to. Well, and this is a strange thing for us in the music industry because so much of, of our job is done, people's job in the music industry is done remotely now. Before, when everybody would go to studios, you know, even like five years ago, there was a lot more of that going on. Your gear was, it was proof that you were good at it. And, you know, as I get more into photography and videography, photographers and videographers have a little bit of a different situation because they bring their gear with them. It's around their neck. And someone looks at you and looks at your camera and makes a judgment about you. And obsessing about gear often is actually obsessing about what other people will think of you based on your gear. That's actually a really good point. That, yeah, that was, so, that, that was so good. I was like, oh, shit. Like, that's why I do it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I think that really is a big part of it is the gear is... It's a great distraction. It's a great disassociation. It's a great procrastination. It's a great avoidance technique. Yeah. I think that's all there is to say on that. Like full transparency. I, I'll struggle with this too. Like in my own way, I, I'm like the most anti-gear person as anyone can attest to from listening to this podcast. If you've been listening since the beginning, I am like, I, I 
get on to Chris for talking about gear. We used to have an alert for gear addicts or gear hoarders. And now we don't have that anymore, which is probably a good thing, but I still struggle with this in my own way. So like I've, as I've tried to like, if anyone watching this, this, this episode on YouTube, you'll see that my lighting is cool and my video quality is better than it probably has been in the past. And I'm like trying to get all these things down. And this is, this is me like getting into the gear world and it's, it's, it's a dangerous slippery slope. So I'm not I mean, like also getting the YouTube channel back up and going. I've been looking into all these different things I could do and should do. I'm not allowing myself to do those things until I hit a certain milestone. And so that's kind of the limit I'm putting on myself there. And for you, for any of you who, who are looking to get started, who obsess over gear, this is the problem. It's not that the gear is bad. Let me just go ahead and say that it's that your obsession over the gear that you're not quite ready for it. You haven't, or you haven't even earned the right to get yet is the bad thing. So set milestones for yourself and reward yourself with gear. If that's really the route you want to go, don't just procrastinate with gear. Don't just buy gear because you want it, even though you don't necessarily need it or that you're, you know, I'm just trying to say reward yourself, but don't go overboard. This episode hurts, Brian. I know, man. I mean, these are all mistakes that Chris and I have made in some capacity in our past. So this is, this is what Chris used to say. He stopped saying this, but this is Chris preaching to himself 15 years ago or 17 years ago or 18 years ago, however many years ago it was now because we updated every year that number goes up. But number four is reading books that you aren't ready for yet. Mm. Okay. Story time. And, and by the way, before Chris gets into a story, if you don't read books, shame on you, first of all. But this also just means consuming any education that you're not ready for yet. Now story time. So ready for yet. I read a lot of business books. I, I've disassociated from my issues by reading lots and lots of business books. And sometimes I would have a hard time finding a good business book. So I would read one that was for like 50 year old CEOs with, you know, 400 employees. And it was tough to take a business book like that and apply it to my, you know, little small business where I was just trying to keep from having a boss like the person that that book was written for. And I read these books and I would take some of their, you know, pithy sayings to heart. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of Jim Collins. Uh, He writes a lot of some of the most classic business books ever, but they're much more geared uh, towards organizations than they are towards small businesses. And while there's a lot of good stuff to take home, there's a lot of stuff that's bad that you don't want to focus on in a small business. For example, leveraging your personality. In a big business, you don't want to leverage the personality, like the face of a business very often because they can like die and stuff. And then everybody is in trouble that works for that company. But as a small business, leveraging your personality is like one of the best moves you can possibly do because nobody can take it from you. Nobody can steal it if you're being yourself for a living. But here's the story. So I'm not, I, I promise I'll only say PTSD one more time this episode, Brian, but I'm going to take bets that this is not the last time you say that word. You're probably right. So as someone with PTSD, there's a a lot. That that was my one more time. No, that that, that was the one more time. So as someone with the disorder, which I shall not name a second time, (laughs) I used to struggle a lot with how I looked at danger. And to me, danger was sort of everywhere. And, you know, the thing, I didn't didn't say it. (laughs) Is really wrapped up in this idea that like somebody from your past is going to come back and finish the job. And so I was really consumed by this. And then I was, I got really into history books and I heard about this book called the 48 laws of power. And it was like a lot of miniature biographies of a lot of like, you know, famous people, powerful people. And I thought, oh, this sounds really, really interesting. And it was awful. Oh, I I started that book. It is, it is awful. It terrified me. Yeah. Well, it's awful. It's also just an awful look at, it's like, it's all, it's the 48 
worst ways to exude your power. Like that's to me, that's what yes. it's like the most yes. toxic power possible. Yeah. I, I would never recommend that book. Yeah. It's, I forced myself to read it because I thought because I was struggling to finish it, that I should finish it. And boy, it really just, it messed with my worldview. It really did a lot. Like I, I, my behavior changed after reading that book and I regret it. And now looking back at it, you know, when you're going to spend 30 hours with a book, you better make sure that it's the book that you need. Picking the right book is like 80% of the work. Well, let me, let me, let me push in here and just say one thing that's important to distinguish here is this is actually a two, a two for one for you reading books you aren't ready for, or in Chris's case here, reading a book that you should never read in the first place. Like no one should read 48 laws of power unless you want to just see what those are. So you can avoid the use of those against you. That's how I justified reading it as I was like, I, I, my, I was terrified of somebody having power over me. So I read this book thinking it'd be like a good defense. And it just was like, Oh my God, humans are yeah, I was going to say wow. that book will really just make you lose faith in humanity. So. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So that's number four is just reading books or consuming any education that you aren't ready for yet. That's beyond your level. Like in Chris's example, reading a book that's meant for 400 person organizations trying to get to 10,000 people instead of like a solo business owner who really just wants to be a solo business owner. Like that's not the book for, for you. So that's number four. Number five. Quite connected to number four, actually. Yeah, sort of kind of. Number five is just consuming endless research or doing endless research. You may be doing this right now. If you're listening to this podcast, you may be on a kick right now. Like, Hey, this is the year that I'm going to get out of my day job, get off the golden handcuffs and finally break through and start my business and go full time. And if that's you, like, first of all, kudos to you. But second of all, you're probably in the situation right now where you're just consuming endless education around that subject so that you can feel prepared for the time that you do leave your job. And there's a balance here. The balance is consuming as much as you need and no more. The danger is, and I know I personally fall into this so much, is over-research where you just endlessly consume and never actually do any output. Yep. Sometimes when we're getting ready to record an episode, Brian will over-hash out what we're going to talk about that day because he's nervous about starting the episode. He's nodding his head. We've never actually talked about this before, but it's definitely, it's a thing. And we think we all do it on some regard. Is It's a... It's a procrastination technique. It's like, there's a scary thing I know I need to do. I'm going to come up with something that I probably should do first, which I really don't need to do first. Yes and no. So there's, there's a little with that. So when, when someone comes on the podcast with absolutely zero preparation and has done no research or outline or anything ahead of time, then that puts stress on me and I have to get the outline done and ready and I have to do all the research and get it done. So that's why I do that. But that's, that's outside of the, this number here, which is endless that's research. That's part of it. Endless research is, <laughs> is whenever you watch, you know, 66 YouTube videos in a row of like that certain thing that you're trying to get into. Never done that you, before. You've never done that before, Chris? I didn't do it yesterday. I won't okay. do it tonight. Yeah. What's your, okay. Well, so what's your poison right now? Like Chris, just full transparency. Camera videos, man. Oh my God. How many videos, how many videos have you put out in the last six months? Not that much, but no, no. I, I how made, many videos have you put out in the last six months? Only a couple, but I made two yesterday. So, okay. I've got a, a new intern, my dude, Philip. Philip is uh, a video prodigy and we've been making some videos together in preparation for this. Quick question. How many videos have you consumed about making videos? Do you mean like ever or like in the past hour? In the past, or? In the past six months. In the past six months, you've made <laughs> two videos. Hundreds. 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 Okay. Yeah. 
No, I'm I'm digging in. I'm like I'm prodding at Chris right now just to let you know that like we're both human. If Chris prodded me back, I, it would be the exact same thing for me. Ah. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get the YouTube channel like up and running, back going again for Six Figure Creative. And like by the time you see this, there will likely be more content on there, depending if I get the video editor thing sorted out. But all that to say is like I have consumed dozens of videos and podcasts about building and growing the YouTube channel for the Six Figure Creative, and I have put approximately zero videos that I've shot at least on YouTube. So I've, I've shot four. Yeah. So I'm right. I'm the same boat with you. I'm just saying like we fall into these same traps and we're in, I've been doing this for 11 years now. Like I've been an entrepreneur for over, over 10 years and I still follow these traps. So as a beginner, knowing these things are there can help you avoid the pitfall. Doesn't mean you're going to not make mistakes. You will always make mistakes as a beginner, but just knowing that that mistake, that trap is there, you're more likely to be able to get out of the trap once you fall into it. I'll read this next one. Number six a bad or no portfolio. One of the things that is the end all be all of being a freelancer, the non-negotiable is your portfolio. Like there's, we can argue about everything Brian and I have ever talked about, about whether it's relevant to everybody or not. That's not our goal. We're not trying to come up with content that's relevant to everybody. We're trying to come up with a bunch of tools and then you pick your own. But when it comes to the portfolio, I would be astounded, like absolutely floored to ever meet a creative freelancer with no portfolio that is crushing it. Yeah. So I, I mentioned a second ago, like if I get the, if I get the video editor thing sorted out, I'll have more YouTube videos on the YouTube channel. Here's the thing. I put a little PS line in the, one of the emails that sent out recently looking for a video editor. Just reply if you are, if you are one or you know one. And I had maybe 10 replies, which is like a decent amount. Two people out of the 10 who replied to that actually had a portfolio. What are you doing? If you don't have a portfolio, what is the point? I, I can't look at your work. How am I going to hire you? That's the number, like the number one thing. This goes whether you're on Fiverr, whether you have your own website, whether you have no website or no Fiverr or any of that. If you have a portfolio, you can get hired. Even if you're just manually sending somebody a Dropbox link or a file pass link, hint, hint, you can still get hired, but you will not get hired without some sort of proof that you can do what you say you can do. I'm not going to take someone's word for it. I got people saying I can hit deadlines and I'm like, I do this as my day job and like the bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, all the reasons you should hire me, but I don't have a portfolio. I'm not going to hire you no matter what. Yep. It's true. Yeah. I would never, ever, ever consider hiring somebody without a portfolio unless they were local and I spent a significant amount of time with them and they were just incredible. And I was going to, I was going to teach them from the ground up. But like even my I'm intern, not, I'm not like, teaching somebody for the ground up that's, well, and I'm hiring for that, not for that particular task, but depending yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on how systemized the thing you're hiring for is, you can hire somebody that's completely fresh, but true, true. that person's an employee. They're not a freelancer. And, you know, I think I've been struggling with this because, you know, my main gig right now has been uh, doing business coaching and I love it. It has been an enormous part of my healing just to be able to hang out with people and talk about their business and just not think about my own issues for a little while. And that's been really, really cool. But the problem with a business like that, it's a creative business, but a portfolio is challenging because there's not a piece of media necessarily that I'm creating with each of these people I'm working with. So testimonials. No, you create, I'm going to coach you right now, Chris. You ready for it. this? Yes. Before we get into the podcast today, let me tell you a little something crazy about myself. I'm actually a psychic and I'm going to prove it to you. You and I, we've probably never met, but I bet I can describe your business better than you can. Here's what my crystal ball says. You probably have no idea how to get clients other than waiting around for referrals and word of mouth. You're stuck in a perpetual cycle of feast or famine. So you have wild income swings from month to month. 
you're charging way less than you should and you know it, but you don't do anything about it. You feel like you have a million things you could be doing in your business and you have no idea what you should be focusing on. And you have tons of little half-built bridges leading to nowhere because you've jumped from thing to thing to thing as a dabbler. Am I right? Does this sound eerily similar to you? That's because I've been in your shoes and I've worked with thousands of freelancers who've also been there. So I'm not a psychic. My crystal ball is not real. I just have a really clear understanding of what freelancers are facing today. And if I can predict your problems, you can bet I actually have a solution to these problems. It's called client acquisition. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but for some reason, freelancers still haven't really figured this out yet. This is why I created Clients by Design Coaching. It's a truly unique coaching program that helps you build your own client acquisition machine so you can break out of this feast or famine cycle that most freelancers never escape. So here's how our approach is unique. First, we do a deep dive on your business, we figure out what's missing, and we give you a complete marketing roadmap right from the start. So no more dabbling, no more guesswork, just a clear path to getting more clients. You always know what your next step is because we actually assign specific tasks to you. So instead of feeling overwhelmed, instead of feeling scattered, you can just focus on your next step. That's it. We give you unlimited feedback on everything you do so you can feel confident that every single step you're taking is the right one. And we hold you accountable, not by nagging you, but just by genuinely supporting and cheering you on every step of the way. If you're behind on any steps we've assigned to you, we'll proactively reach out and see how we can help. Clients by Design is not a course. We look at it like a partnership. We'll always show up. We'll always give you what you need, but you have to be willing to put in the work. This program is not for everyone, and that is okay. As of right now, I just checked the numbers. We've only approved about 25% of the applicants we've gotten so far, and that's because we are selective. We only accept your application if we believe we can truly help you. So if you're ready to end your feast or famine cycle and build a client acquisition machine, you can apply for Clients by Design by going to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. That's the number six, figurecreative.com slash coach. Now here's our show. You create a case study. Anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. So let me, let me separate this into two, two buckets right now. I'm going to give Chris his advice as someone who has been doing business coaching, has tons of clients right now. I'm going to give him that advice, but I'm also going to say for anyone listening right now who doesn't have clients, which is the beginners listening right now, if they're still listening, they likely haven't gotten too far into their career. So they probably wouldn't be listening to this episode. But for the beginner, let me address you really quick and then I'll get to my to my misaligned or misad- misadvised co-host here. And I'm sorry if I'm being mean. I'm, I'm not being mean, but you're I, right, I, I want to I help you on this because there's definitely something you can do. If you're brand new, like the easiest way to get a portfolio is to, to do your own projects. Like for me, when I got started as a music producer, I just recorded my own music and then showed my friends. And my friends are like, that sounds amazing. It sounds better than the studio we just paid $5,000 to. I'm going to hire you. And so that's how I got my first gigs. You can do the same thing with your video, graphic design, anything. You can make, you can create stuff because you're a creator or you wouldn't be listening to the Six Figure Creative. You're a creator, so create stuff and then show it to people. That's your portfolio. But for you, Chris, once you have clients, you can do case studies and case studies are an incredible way to show someone that you are effective at what you do. And I was just going to say that when you interrupted I'm not talking about me. testimonials. I'm okay. not talking about testimonials. Testimonials are different from case studies. Testimonial is Jim Bob saying, Chris was a fantastic business coach. A plus would recommend. Like that's, it's basically like a Google review. But a, a case study is, here's where I was before I hired this person. Here's how this person helped me. And here's my life or the result that I got from this person. Three things. Gotcha. Okay, well, I, think, I don't think I've been defining case study and testimonial differently. In that case, case studies have been what I'm collecting. And the other day, you know, Anthony, alumni of the podcast, who I've done some business coaching for, made a testimonial video on my coaching page. And like, he's crushing right now. Absolutely crushing. <laughs> Yeah, when the student has become the master, when that student has making more than either of us are. He makes a lot more than we do. Yeah, yeah. he's absolutely crushing. 
But his case study was he sent me a testimonial video and was like, Chris is great, blah, blah, blah. Made some systems with him. He was my business coach. I save 15 to 20% of my time each week now as a result of those systems. And that I'm like, oh my gosh, I just need like more people to make me videos like that. And that's like an unbelievable amount of value that, that Anthony is claiming that I provided for him. Mm-hmm. And like, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. And I well, built these systems with him, but that sort of thing of, of having, well, I guess there's a couple things here. You've got your portfolio, you've got testimonials and you've got case studies. And so these are three different ways that you can show what you've done for people. But here's the thing. If you're creating something, if you're a video editor or an audio editor or a producer or whatever, like your case studies are going to involve portfolio work as well. It's going to involve the art that you've made. And that in a lot of ways is a lot easier. You think about a photographer, you can glance at their portfolio and form an opinion in one second. Videographer takes you longer. Audio person takes you a considerably longer time. Different businesses have different obstacles when it comes to showing your work and saying, look what I did for this person. Wouldn't you like me to do this for you? So that's all I'm going to say about that. That's a, that's a great way to leave off number six, which is a bad or no portfolio. And we kind of ventured into the, the testimonial and case study world, which really they do go hand in hand. So there's uh, some, some bonus content for you there. So let's move into number seven now on the top nine mistakes freelancers make when they're getting started with their business. Zero clarity on messaging. I don't this know what you is, mean, uh, Brian. Explain. Okay. Yeah. I was about to say, this is, this is something that people don't think about. Okay. Why should someone hire you? Period. If you can't answer that question, you have no clarity on messaging. You know, I'm a multimedia person. I've got, you know, I do audio, I do editing, I do video. Um, I'm an expert on Minecraft and uh, <laughs> World of Warcraft, really all the crafts, all the games that involve the word craft. Uh, also, I know how to use PowerPoint and Excel. So whatever you need, I've got it. You joke, but that's somewhat similar to a lot of people's pitch, which is I can offer 34 services, therefore hire me. And what I hear is you have no idea how to message your business. And so you're just offering whatever the hell you can offer, hoping that someone's like, oh, I kind of need that. But what you're actually doing is saying, here's 34 reasons not to hire me. (laughs) It's like every single thing you try to tag on. And this is what people, we go back to all the way back to number one on this list, which was offering copycat services. You see those people that are offering 34 services on their website or on their social media pages or wherever they're advertising. And so I'm going to do that too. Naturally, that way, if I get like one person each month in each of these categories, all of a sudden I have 34 customers a month or clients a month. Oh my God. Instead, when you focus on the outcome instead of the service, then you can start to build a message around why someone should hire you. And people do not put two seconds of thought into this before they start putting themselves out into the world and trying to get clients. It's a Karen move. Can you explain why that is? Well, if Karen's going to start a restaurant, hey, welcome to Karen's restaurant. We got the best Italian food, Thai food, Japanese food, American food, Southwestern food, American Indian food, and Alaskan food. <laughs> oh, that made me feel sick to my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid soundboard. It's I don't so know. We're, we're we're having fun here. Uh, anyways, yes, that's a great example of just like if I go to a restaurant that has all those kinds of food, I'm running the other way. Like that is not a good restaurant that I want to eat at. So, how can you, as the person who started their business, clarify your message to the person that you want to hire you? And I think a good. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the steps here because that's honestly that's a full. It's a it's like an hour's worth of content by itself. But I think a really good place to start is story brand. 
And the, the reason I think it's so good on getting this messaging thing across to people, the reason I love it is because there's something that he presents and that is that you are the guide and your customer or client is the hero of the journey. And you're actually guiding them to the outcome that they want. And it's the basic hero's journey that many, many movies follow. What you said, Chris, where you're talking about, I'm the number one blank in blank is making you the hero of the journey instead of making your customer the hero. And so I didn't get that right for Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I still don't get it all right in my businesses and everything that I do. But I'll tell you right now with, with Good Fortune Media, my new, my new business that I'm starting, or I've, I've already started that I'm working on right now, is everything on my website, everything I did from the very ground up was making sure my messaging was dead on and that I'm talking about how I help my client reach the outcome that they want. At no point do I go on a spiel about how I'm the number one blank in blank. There's no point in which I talk about how I'm the best at something and how I'm this and I'm that. I use the word you or your or whatever so many times on the website because I'm talking about them and their desires and their what they want as a client. So that's that's what I mean when I'm talking about messaging is this make, not making it about you, the freelancer. It's making it about them, the client. Because I, I do think it was a great move. I really do. I don't think that's the only way to do messaging. But I think that's one way that can work. And in that context, it did. And so what I would say is like the podcast is the best thing we ever, like it, the success of it far outweighs anything else I've ever done. So yes, you make a good point there. And I will say on the intro of the podcast, I did do one thing right of the old podcast. If you go back and listen to any episode 150 and before, and then it says your, uh, the number one resource, the six figure studio is the number one resource. That was the wrong thing. I didn't think talking about us should have been the right thing for growing a profitable home recording studio. That's the outcome that we're helping people work towards. Yes. So, okay. I don't listen to our podcast, so I don't really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is. really that intro was like half wrong, half right. Half of it that was wrong was just talking about ourselves and talking yourself up. But the outcome that we help lead our people to, that's why people stuck around. And so you as the freelancer, if you're listening to this or watching this on YouTube and you're trying to figure out like, what the hell is Brian and Chris talking about at this point? Let me push back. I think in order to talk about the outcome, you first have to make an appeal to authority. This is the outcome you want, right? Here is why I am capable of getting you there. And I think that you did it really great with the podcast intro because you made an appeal to authority and you talked about where people wanted to go and that we could take them there. And even the name of the podcast, I've talked about this a million times with a million people, your idea to call it the Six Figure Home Studio, that is where people want to go. The, this current podcast, the Six Figure Creative, do you want to be a six-figure creative? Fuck yeah, I do. That's awesome. Like, what more could you possibly want in life than six figures and all the creative work and freedom that you want? Blah. That's amazing. So I think that, there, that, that we are in agreement here, but there's so many caveats with messaging. I think one of them is, yeah, you get a hero's journey. I'm huge into that. Huge into that. I'm obsessed with it. But at the same time, I think when you are offering to be someone's guide, if that's your business, you know, hey, are your pipes clogged? Do you want your shower to drain all the way? I'm a, a licensed and bonded. This is such a stupid appeal to authority, but it's the standard. I'm a licensed and bonded Angie's List five star. I think, though, that your portfolio when you're getting started out is your appeal to authority. You're saying, I do this. Here's the outcome. Here's yes. the thing that I can provide you. Like if, if yes. a video editor had replied to me and said, here's my portfolio. It's it's excellent. But I'm like, this is just a side hustle for me for fun. Like, I'm not really, you know, a full-time professional with this. I wouldn't care. I, I don't care if you have the biggest clients in the world. I don't care if you are full-time or part-time or working out of your parents' basement or working out of a million-dollar video studio. 
all I care about is really your portfolio at the end of the day. That's the thing I'm hiring you for. So if you can show me that, that's the only appeal to authority that I need. And so if, if you can do that, then, then you've won half the battle at least. Case in point, one of my favorite things, I don't really talk about this very much. It's kind of a private thing for me now. But one of my favorite things in the world to do is to sit down with my guitar and write songs. It's one of the ways I process my feels. And I've really wanted to get into writing with other people. I haven't really done anything with it. I've been so busy with everything else in my life. But if somebody reached out to me and said, I would love to write songs with you and sent me one song that was killer, I'm going to say yes. One song. That's the amazing thing about creative work and about making art is that you can do one thing and put it in your portfolio and crush on that one thing. And that's how I closed a lot of my first customers is I would hang out with a friend of mine that was thinking about recording a record and I'd sit him down and I had one good song of my own that I had made that I was really, really proud of. And I'd sit them down in front of my monitors I'd press play and they'd turn around and say, let's record a record. Yes, but that one thing, going back to the portfolio, which is number six on this list, has to have messaging behind it, which is number seven, no clarity on messaging. It has to say, Chris, I only have one song in my portfolio. Here's what it sounds like, but I can help you write the song that matches your vision. I can help you with X, Y, and Z because I know that's what you ultimately want at the end of the day. You want a song that you can show your kids when they're grown up about how you love them so much that you had to write this song and now this is part of your legacy you leave for your kids. If that's the goal, you have for the songs you're writing, that's a great way to message your songwriting services. The whole point of this is just, is just say, what is the outcome that my client wants? How do I speak to my client so that they know that I can help them with the outcome? And then how can I prove it with a great portfolio? Those, those, that's really the, the key to great messaging with your portfolio to back it up. Totally. You made me all emotional when you talked about making songs right? for your kids. I was speaking I was like, to your oh, desires I, though, right? Like that's yeah. the thing is like you want to touch somebody's soul yeah. when you're speaking to them. And even in a sales environment, like don't, you don't have to like make this sleazy or scammy, but like if you give someone chills or make them tear up when you're talking about what you're going to help them achieve, you're doing it right. That's the thing. That reminds me of this episode hasn't aired yet, I don't think, but the episode I did with Ben Hartley from the six figure photographer, he was talking to me when he interviewed me and he was talking about wedding photography and the bro made me cry. And I was like, this good, <laughs> this, he's so good. And you're right. Like there's, when people have a true pain point, you will get an emotional reaction from them when you solve it for them. Or when you just have the right messaging around that pain point and then how you can help them overcome that pain point with the service that you offer. So let's move on here. Number seven was the longest one on this list, but you know what? I told you we could talk for over an hour on just that one thing because that's how broad that topic can be. So like I said, just start small and work your way up with messaging. Just I can help blank achieve blank. I can help this person achieve this outcome. That's the most messaging you need when you get started. But number eight on this list is having no marketing plan. So basically having no answer to the question of how are you going to get strangers to hire you? As a freelancer, you may start with your friends and family and acquaintances, but eventually if you ever want to do this full time, you have to have a plan for how to get hired by strangers. And the mistake is not having any clarity on what that plan could look like. Chris, when you started, did you have a, a clear plan on how you're going to get customers? Believe it or not, with the mastering business, yes, I did. With the production business, I did not. And this is funny because I think this is probably the best item on our, on our listicle right here. But not having a marketing plan, like you really hit the nail on the head. People launch a business thinking, I'll get my, with only the thought of, I'll get my friends and family to hire me. And then eventually, if you're really good at your new business, they do. 
and then you're all out of friends and family and you don't have any way for strangers to find out about you. And if you're really, 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 really lucky, one of those friends and family has hooked you up with a complete stranger, but it's still not really a marketing yeah, plan. No, referral referrals are not, um, is not, a, is not a form of, it's not a marketing plan because referrals are on their time. Yeah. Referrals are not, are not a marketing plan, but more importantly than that, referrals from friends and family are not a marketing plan because you, you're not going to, unless you are the luckiest SOB on the planet, you are not going to work for friends and family. And then a friends and family tell a bunch of strangers and then strangers all hire you. And then those strangers tell more strangers and they all hire you. You need a way to reach out to strangers. And I was working on this earlier today when I was working on my course, when I was working on my coaching program and thinking about this moment where the first time a stranger hired me, when I had a marketing plan, which was, hey, a cool website that explains, I was an audio mastering engineer, that explains what audio mastering is, and then I'm going to run Google ads to it. For people that are searching for a mastering engineer online to help them finish their record, I get them to come to my website saying, hey, I'll do a free sample for you, a free song. And then they play with my before and after player, which was revolutionary at the time. Then I have a conversation with a stranger. I'll never forget having a phone call on my back porch with a guy named Greg from Pennsylvania. And then Greg didn't have a PayPal account and he ended up mailing me a check for 350 bucks. And it absolutely blew my mind that I was able to effectively market myself to strangers. If you are only selling to friends and family, I would say there's a 95% chance of failure. We're not a doom and gloom podcast. That's not our, our vibe. But in my experience, I have very rarely seen someone break through the friends and family bubble. That's a phrase we should use from now on. The friends and family bubble into the outside world and get strangers to start hiring them. A marketing plan is how do you get complete strangers to find you on the internet and then hire you? Yeah, so I do have a, a free email course on this called Jumpstart Your Marketing. I don't have a, I don't think I have a landing page prepared for this, but it'll be in our show notes if you want to, to join that email course, because I think it's actually on the Six Figure Home Studio, not Six Figure Creatives website. I'll figure it out. It's in the show notes if you wanted to join up on that, but you need some sort of plan and we don't have time in this episode to go over it, but not having a plan is a surefire way to struggle as a new freelancer. All right. So that actually leads really well into number nine on this list, the final thing on this list. And that is a mistake that so many people make including myself for years and years and years. It's actually, I think I got successful when I started out despite my best efforts to ruin it. I made this mistake last night. And this is the mistake. Trying to close a client over email or DM instead of getting on the phone with them. So Chris, you just mentioned this just throughout your story there. You were trying to close a client sitting on your back porch on the phone. This, as you're getting started, should be your default method for closing clients. And here's why. When you're just starting out, more than anything else, you need feedback. You need to know why someone didn't hire you. You need to know why the person, where they're tripping up or where they're losing interest or where their eyes go dead and they're just like, I'm not really interested or where they push back or what objections they have. When you try to do this over email, you get none of those things. At best, they're going to just say, sorry, we've moved on with someone else. And at worst, they're going to just ghost you and you have absolutely no idea why. So when you talk to somebody over the phone who's interested in hiring you, this is a fantastic way to talk through what they want, what their goals are, how you can help them. There's a whole framework that I use on my calls and you don't have to have a whole framework. Just talk to them as a human to human and try to get feedback for why they wouldn't hire you. Why'd they go with someone else? Or why wouldn't, why is this not work for you? Or what can I do to make this better? Like you can do so much to get feedback from people on the phone when you're trying to close clients, especially at the beginning when you are so starved for information on how you can improve. This is the most useful part of this episode to me 
So my kind of personal story on this is, you know, I've been doing this business coaching thing for two years Have you, now. Chris? I have with Amy Grammy. Do you do business coaching? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I have only mentioned it every five <laughs> seconds or so on this podcast. When I first got into it, it just sort of exploded on its own. Like the podcast just sort of wrote it. And as I've been kind of leaning more into this and I've, I don't even know how many coaching sessions I've done, I've fallen in love with it. I love it. It's the most creative fun I've probably ever had in my life. And one of the things that I, I've been challenged on that is I'm a systems guy. What can I do to provide the most value to people? You know, Anthony's testimonial is such a perfect example. I saved this dude 15 to 20% of his time per week by helping him build unbelievable Which, systems. For someone, for someone making $10,000 a year, that doesn't sound like that much. If you're like getting started and you're like, Bleh. but when you're at the level that Anthony's at making multiple, multiple six figures a year, like that's a significant amount of savings, like in time. Yeah. And, yes. It's worth, that's worth a lot of money. And as I've been kind of chewing through that, I've been like, and I should just focus on systems. That's really where my mind works best. And as I've been kind of working through bringing new people in for coaching and helping them build systems so that they get more efficient so that they make more money, it's been a little bit different sales process to be like, I'm going to coach you, but I'm, I don't think I have been hands-on enough with phone calls. We've started, you know, face-to-face or phone calls or Zoom or whatever. And then I've, then I've moved to email. And as I'm doing this, I'm learning like this is a brand new offering. And while I do know an awful lot about systems, I really don't know a whole lot about how to build a coaching program slash course. Well, let me, let me bring this back to our listeners because these are freelancers that are trying to build their creative business and they may not be able to relate in their heads with someone trying to do coaching. So let me just, let me just say this. Like, the reason phone calls are so powerful is because when, when you're trying to, to get someone to hire you who doesn't really know you or trust you or even like you yet, a phone call is not only a great way to learn, but it's also a way to build that relationship so that they, they learn to like you. It's a great way to build trust because they learn to trust you as long as you have basic social skills. The biggest thing to me, the biggest win for, for phone calls is when I talk to, to a potential client on the phone, I learn whether or not I can even help them achieve what they want. Because if I can't help them, no amount of money in the world is going to help me help them. It's, going to, it's actually going to be a detriment to my business if I, if I let that person hire me because now I'm not actually helping them at all. I mean, I'm just taking their money. And if you just take their money, you don't have a very good business model because they're not going to be happy at the end of the day because you didn't provide them with a thing that they ultimately wanted. So a phone call helps you align expectations as well. And all along the way, you're gathering feedback on what worked, what didn't work. How did they respond to this? How did they respond to that? How did they respond when you told them the price? Because man, you want to talk about getting over your fears, tell someone the price of the project right there on the call and then just shut up and see what happens. Like it is a powerful thing <laughs> to tell a price and then shut the hell up and see what the response is without talking yourself back or negotiating against yourself. Because you may be surprised that they're like, yeah, I'm in, let's do it. <laughs> like how many times that happens? It's incredible. But yeah, that, so that's, that's my thing is like phone calls are the only way I close clients at this point because I need to not only make sure that they're a good fit for me, but that I'm a good fit for them and to be able to overcome objections and gain feedback all along the way that improves my future calls so that I can close more people. It's, it's an incredible thing. I, I am all aboard the phone call close game. Amazing. I love this. All right. So that's it for our episode. Let me just wrap it up real quick and go through these, all nine of these. And you can tune out at this point if you're, if you're the kind of person, but it's just good to review these things. So number one on this list was just offering basic copycat services that everyone else in your circle is offering. If you don't do that, you're never going to, it's going to be hard to get customers at all. Number two is 
going straight for the logo and business card. This is a typical newbie mistake when they're starting a new business. They get excited. They don't want to do anything real that pushes the business forward. So they do the small little things that feel nice, which is a logo and a business card, or you can insert whatever your advices are there. Number three was obsessing over gear, especially gear that you're not ready for yet. Mistake number four was reading business books or consuming any sort of education that you're not ready for yet. You may not be at the level of that yet. Number five was just doing endless research. The person who is feels like they're never ready to take that leap of faith that they have to take in order to launch their business. And so they just endlessly consume content for the rest of their lives and they never actually create anything. So that's number five, the fifth mistake that beginners make. Number six is a bad or no portfolio. Those are two unforgivable sins. If you have a bad portfolio, you need to get better because that's really the core of this. You will never be a six-figure creative if you're bad at what you do, but you also need a portfolio to show proof that you can do what you say you can do. Number seven mistake was no clarity on messaging, not being able to answer the question, why should someone hire you in the first place instead of the person down the road? Mistake number eight was having no marketing plan whatsoever, having no path to getting clients outside of your circle of friends and family. And then number nine is just trying to close people over email and direct message because you're too shy to talk to somebody on the phone. Those are the nine mistakes. Chris, any final parting thoughts here as we wrap this episode up? You know, trying to close people over DM and email reminds me of a girl I asked out. (laughs) (laughs) I was like 20 years old. We've all done that. And yeah, and I was like, I'll ask her out on Instant Messenger, AOL Instant Messenger. That's what all the kids use back in the day. And bruh, don't do that. (laughs) That's a terrible idea. She said, she said, no. <laughs> and then you were forever scarred from rejection there. Yeah. yeah. But did um, you know why she said no? Probably specifically because <laughs> I asked her out on AIM instead of like, you know, finding a way to meet up with her and you know, whatever. I mean, it was, it was a train wreck. It's, well, actually it's worse than that. I, I called her to ask her out and her parents answering machine picked up because back in the day she didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have cell phones. So her parents' answering machine picks up, and I'm like, I'll just ask her out on the answering Ooh, machine. Oh, no. And then, <laughs> this is so terrible. And then a couple of days go by, I never hear back from her, and I see her on Instant Messenger. And so I messaged her like, hey, did you get my, my message on your answering machine? She's like, no, I didn't. And I was like, and she's like, what was it? And I was like, oh, I'm trapped. I can't call her now. That'd be so weird. So I have to do it on Instant Messenger. And it was, you know, inner send, ba-doop. And pause, <laughs> and pause, and pause, and she doesn't even need to type back at this point. The yeah, pause has been long just, enough that I know the The longer answer. the wait is, the more you're sweating at that point. <laughs> yeah, oh, I was freaking sitting at my mom's <laughs> desk, too, on her computer, and I was like, dude, come on. All guys. right, so take whatever you want, <laughs> you want from that lesson, but closing clients over the phone is, is the way to go. So let's, <laughs> let's wrap this episode up. Don't be like me, guys. Yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening or watching on YouTube now that we're a video podcast. Uh, until next time, happy hustling. Happy hustling.